This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It is season two. It's episode number 93. Are the Cubs desperate? Don't forget to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Uh, the Ford Frick announcements are coming out later this week, and it's a good time. There's never a bad time for Crowley to talk to Matt Spiegel, one half of the Parkins and Spiegel show, the afternoon drive show on 670 The Score. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, you can hear him on the afternoon drive from 2 to 6 as one half of the Parkins and Spiegel show on 670 The Score. Matt Spiegel, how you doing, Matt? Dude, I am well. Nice to be here with you, Crawley. Got me cozy after dark. Those are some uh, Christmas lights in the background there um, in my son's room behind me. And I'm comfy, cozy, and looking forward to talking Cubs with you. What's happening? Uh, you know, the one thing I really wanted to talk about is, is, you know, with the winter meetings going on, and we're watching Otani Watch 2024, but the Baseball Hall of Fame will be announcing this week the Ford C. Frick Award for Excellent in Baseball Broadcasting. And over the last baseball season, Matt, you were the host of a podcast from Odyssey and 2400 Sports called PBP, Voices of Baseball, where you talked with numerous baseball broadcasters. What inspired you to create that broadcast? It's the first thing I ever wanted to be when I was about five years old, sitting in the basement of my home in suburban New Jersey, listening to baseball on the radio as my big brother was listening to baseball on the radio at the time. And he was paying more attention to the baseball on the radio than he was to me. And I wanted him to be paying attention to me. And I was like, you know, maybe one day if I'm the guy talking about baseball on the radio, um, then, then he and I will talk to each other. And, and at the same time I was falling in love with the game. And I just, I, I slowly realized what the radio baseball voice did, which was make it exist at all anything and everything nothing happens without you giving voice to it for the person who's listening to the game it's a pretty remarkable power when you think about it and a remarkable uh job where you facilitate that for people so i just fell in love with it and ever since i've always listened i mean to pat hughes primarily of course um but also just like to great baseball radio voices and it's a, i think it's a wonderful art and a fascinating way of expressing oneself as a satellite to the ball game itself. But, and because the ball game is the star as it always is, but you're very close to the game itself. In my opinion, that's as close as you can get to the game without playing in the game 
or managing the game or coaching the game. As close as you can get is being that radio play-by-play voice and bringing it to people. So I just think it's a beautiful craft and I've fallen in love with the craft. And that's really what the PBP was, was a love letter to the craft of play-by-play and um, ruminations on the relationship of the fans with the broadcast. And of course, along the way, all those interviews with, uh, with, with folks who do it and have done it. And I'm, I'm thrilled to have done it. I'm really proud of the season that it was and got a chance to talk to a ton of interesting people. Now, one of the finalists for the Frick Award is Joe Buck. And of course, you know, Joe Buck, you know, did Cardinals games, the Fox Sports, and also the World Series, including the Cubs World Series. And, you know, I think Joe Buck sometimes is a lightning rod. And I thought he w- it was just such a fascinating episode because he talked about that national and, and, and it's an it's 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 a topic that comes up throughout your podcast, but that national versus local call. And I thought Joe did such a great job of explaining the difference of a local broadcaster and a national broadcaster. What do you think you learned the most from Joe Buck or what would people be most surprised about when, when, when they, when they talk, listen to your podcast about Joe Buck? Uh, Oh, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I think the world of Joe has become a friend and I think he's like a really sweet and thoughtful guy. Um, I, you know, I I wonder, I, I think for Cub fans, they might be surprised to know just how much he loved being a part of that run in 2016, how proud he is to have been a part of it. I think he wrote a column at the end of the World Series calling it the highlight of his career. But I had met him during that playoff run and hung out with him a couple times during that playoff run, and he was just he was just so excited because he's a baseball guy first. I know he's thought of as a Cardinals guy, and of course, I mean, imagine – he was a little, a little boy, a, a toddler crawling around the Cardinals radio booth as his dad, Jack Buck was doing the games. I mean, that that's pretty, that, that's pretty transformative and pretty powerful, but when it comes down to it, he loves baseball. He loves the whole thing. And he knew what a big deal it was in all of 2016. So for him, it was really powerful and he was really excited and hoping it, it, it went well and went uh, a certain way. But, you know, it's uh, it's also his job on the national level to make sure that both fan bases feel like they're represented. And as you're doing that as a national broadcaster, it can make both fan bases feel like they're being marginalized. So that's just kind of the way it goes. And there's a certain amount of hate that goes along with that. And Joe and I bonded originally about the hate because he's a people pleaser, like I am a people pleaser. And when you have to deal with a certain amount of like, of hatred or dislike from listeners or from viewers or whatever. It's just, it takes you a moment to realize, Oh, that might just be what people do and people are going to go a certain direction. And you just have to try and stay as true to yourself as you can as a broadcaster, just try and do what you do and be yourself. And if people like you, great. If they don't like you, okay, that's fine. So just kind of just, just try to be yourself. So that's how he and I bonded and and I know deep down, and I know for a fact how much he enjoyed being a part of that Cubs run in 2016. I thought his his especially his final out call was just phenomenal. Just you heard the excitement in his voice as Brian picked up that ball. Um, one thing in that episode that really stuck out to me is that he explained, you know, on the local broadcast when his dad was doing the Cardinals game, when there would be two guys on and no outs, he would say, uh, Jack Buck, his dad would say, "We need a triple play here." And Joe went on to kind of describe, you know, on the national, there is no, we it's, it's, it's a lot different than a local broadcast, you know? 
Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely, because you're just kind of talking about the way the game is. But this is the cruel fate of the national broadcaster on some level. And it's interesting because our guy now, Boog Shambi, has lived both of those realities now. And as he gets in deeper and deeper with the Cubs as a, as a hometown broadcaster, I'm sure it's resonating with him on on, on multiple levels because – you know, it, it, with the local broadcaster, they carry us all the way through the season, all through the ups and downs of an actual season where there's so much emotion and so much of a roller coaster. And then they carry us all the way to the playoffs and then poof, they're gone. And all of a sudden you're with these randoms on some level. It's like, who are these people? And sometimes it's a new broadcaster trying it out or it's a vintage guy like Bob Costas, who's all of a sudden working for TBS. And you're like, wait a minute, Costas was an NBC guy. And then, you know, is he more of a New York guy? Is he a national guy? What you know, and you're trying to kind of wrap your head around the whole thing as you are still emotionally engaged as you were all season long as a fan of your local. So it's a, it, it's a crazy dichotomy, isn't it? It's a dichotomy for the fan to experience as much as it is for the broadcaster if you're actually really in tune with the thing. Absolutely. Now, the 2024 Frick Award ballot was created by a subcommittee of the voting electorate that included past Frick honorees Marty Brenneman, Bob Costas, and Pat Hughes, and broadcast historians David J. Halbstrom and Kurt Smith. You had three of those on the subcommittee on your podcast. You had Marty, you had Bob Costas, and Pat Hughes. Yeah. And, and, and let me in interrupt you for a second. And Kurt Smith is the living dean of broadcast or broadcaster journalism, I would say. He wrote a book called Voices of the Game, which I was given when I was a senior in high school by my drama teacher, because I was a theater kid, Crawley, but she knew I was a baseball guy. So she gave me that book, Voices of the Game by Kurt Smith, and it traces the history of baseball broadcasting. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's some incredible royalty, everybody involved, what you just said. And, 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 you know, yeah. And, and so when I'm listening to the Bob Costas interview, you just kind of talked about this. I thought he just did such a great job of breaking down the art of broadcasting. And when he brought up the idea about baseball being a local game and wondering why the postseason doesn't have like a Manning cast, like a simulcast where you could have your local broadcasters, if you're from Chicago, and if you're a national person, you could turn into a Bob Costas. And I'm just thinking to myself, I wonder if MLB ever listens to a guy like Bob Costas, because just so many good ideas, so brilliant about the art of broadcasting. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great point. Um, and, and as long as it didn't split the ratings, as long as it was just maybe a secondary audio cast, or I suppose like the Madden cast or like they do for the, uh, the college football playoff and have those alternate broadcasts, as long as it didn't split the ratings or whatever, it's really a no brainer. I suppose local radio does that though. We very often see, some of the TV broadcasters for a local team slip over to the radio side. I'll never forget in 2016, as I was covering that, that world series for 670 the score and really covering the whole playoffs, Len Casper, who was the TV voice at the time was just a happy and eager participant in the radio broadcast. So uh, Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer doing the game, but Len was around and I would see Len during games as I was on press row. And then Len would go down on the field and interview players after the game, go into the locker room, go into the clubhouse and interview players after the game and just kind of be around pregame. So sometimes the TV person will step over. If the TV person's a big enough name or a big enough presence, maybe they'll take over from the radio person. So I guess it exists 
in that way, if you can time it out using multiple apps on your phone. And I, I also remember uh, Steve Stone was in the radio booth um, with Pat Hughes when they were uh, in, when, in 2003, when the whole game six with the Bartman ball incident happened. And, and, wow. and Stoney was calling it. And I remember that, you know, I heard it later because I was at the game. But, it, you know, it's like, oh, there's Stoney in the, you know, in the radio booth. But that's amazing. I, I, I wasn't at I wasn't at game six, but I was at game seven. Uh, and it's it's one of the more memorable moments of my baseball attendance, really anywhere across the boards as press or as 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 fan or whatever. I was in the right field bleachers and um when Kerry Wood homered to retake the lead, the entire bleachers like everybody just thought, well, all right, there it is. If the pitcher's homering to retake the lead, that means the Cubs are gonna win game seven my season tickets are in the upper deck and the whole thing's shaking. And I'm like, well, if I'm going down, this is the way I want to go, I guess. <laughs> but <laughs> when, 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 when listening to Costas, I mean, I think the thing that resonates for so many Cub fans, June 23rd, 1984, the Sandberg game. And you did such a great job talking to him about what, you know, was that your breakout moment? And yeah, I think that, you know, he would, he, he made me laugh because he says when he visited Chicago, people still yell out the window, the Sandberg game. And that to me was the first call I ever remember as a kid. Like if you're telling me what's the first baseball call you remember, that's it right there was the, was the Sandberg game. I a hundred percent remember that I was eight year old kid and it was just such a great call by Bob. Wow. That's interesting. So the whole game, you remember, you remember the feeling of listening to the broadcaster doing the thing. Oh yeah. That's, re that's really cool for me. It, it that's right there. And then the Jack Morris, no hitter is that 84 also a game of the week um, on NBC, Jack Morris, no hitter, but yeah, you know, certainly those kind of moments are just indelible um, and kind of lock in the fact, and sometimes you don't even think about that person. Like, who is that person bringing you the game? And then later on, you start thinking about it. It's interesting, on the Veterans Committee for the Hall of Fame uh, for this particular ballot, the one that named Jim Leland into the Hall of Fame, and Lou Pinella was one vote away. Lou, Poor just Lou. one. I know, right? One two years, vote away. Two years in a row, right? I, I mean, think you're right. Geez. I think you're right. But another, but guy, another guy on the ballot there was Bill White. And Bill White was a really good player and eventually towards the end of his career, a really good executive, a president of the National League, I believe, under the commissioner. But in between that, he was a voice of the Yankees. He and Phil Rizzuto were the voices of the Yankees on WPIX-TV. And, and I grew up thinking that Bill White was just a broadcaster. But all these people, all these people in the game, you talk about Steve Stone. Steve Stone played for the Cubs and the Sox, won a Cy Young for the Orioles, you know, played for the Giants as well, as well as going to Kent State with his friend Thurman Munson um, <laughs> at, at the time. But like all these people had entire lives in baseball and just sort of found their way to the booth um, and made an impact on you and on me just by sort of the timing of their presence in the booth. But it's interesting to think of them as just lives in and around baseball the entire time. Well, this is, this is a true story. I want to say it's 2019 and Bob Costas is calling the Cubs game. It, and it was, I want to say it was against the Dodgers. The Cubs win at seven, two. And I had a few drinks and I'm running around all the haunts in Wrigleyville. And I go to this one particular place and who do I see out of my eye? I see Bob Costas. There he is, right, 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 right across the bar, like in this kind of little hideaway bar type place. And I see Bob 
And I just turn into that eight year old kid again. And I'm like, do I say anything? Do I go up to him? He's having a drink, you know, cocktail, you know, and I, I've had plenty of cocktails myself. So I'm like, I'm going to go up and, and say something. So I said, Mr. Costas, the Sandberg gave, that was such a great call. I remember I'm like, do you mind if I get a picture with you? Said, oh, sure. No, no, go ahead. So I give my camera to this guy that's scowling at me. He's scowling at me, right? Here's the picture of me and Bob Costas. It's a good one. The guy taking the photo was John Smoltz. <laughs> <laughs> I was so hyper focused on Bob Costas. I didn't, re- you know, I didn't even take a look at who the other guy was. I just was like, oh, Costas, the Sandberg game. So, oh, that's tremendous. Crawley, that sounds like you. You're very focused <laughs> on the moment. You got very excited to get that picture with Costas. <laughs> and, and, and the Hall of Famers taking the photo. We're <laughs> both Hall of Famers. So, all good. But, you oh, know, uh, that's you know, phenomenal. Every, Every Cub fan has to listen to the one you did with Pat Hughes because Pat Hughes, I mean, it reminds me of that Vin Scully where he's reading the grocery list. Like I can have yeah. Pat Hughes read anything and just absolutely sit there and just listen and enjoy it. Um, yes. Last year's Ford Frick Award recipient and play-by-play voice for the Cubs, Pat talked about advice he received from Ernie Harwell, and it just it, it made the hairs on the back of my neck kind of like raise up there. He said – a, you know, a good announcer should have the reflexes of an athlete, an impartiality of an umpire, the enthusiasm of fan and a background knowledge of a writer. And I just thought to myself, is there any better description of what you want a good broadcaster to be? I mean, absolutely just perfection right there. I love that you grabbed that and remembered that. And, you know, the thing about this is and and you'll know this, Crawley, but I, I wonder if some of the listeners do. What about three years ago? I got the chance to do pregame and postgame and the fifth inning, one inning. And here I was at 50, getting a chance to do an inning of play by play. And I was so excited, but so nervous. A broadcaster my whole life and a lover of baseball and a lover of play by play, but had never done it. It's a very weird way in. So I asked every broadcaster that I got a chance to interact with for some advice. And Len Casper is a good friend, gave me great advice. Joe Buck is a friend, gave me great advice. Jason Bonetti gave me advice. Um, And Pat Hughes, who I had known for a long time at that point, gave me that bit of advice. So before I got it from him on the broadcast, he gave it to me four years ago. And it was incredibly impactful. And I saved it. And all those little bits of advice that I got from people I've kind of kept assembled through the years and I've put it together and thought about it. So no, that that's a perfect description. And Ernie Harwell is one of the OGs all time of the thing had a huge impact on Len, huge impact on Pat. Um, and I'd say Ernie and Vin are, you know, maybe Mel Allen, uh, are, are right there. Bob Prince is a name that comes up a, a, an awful lot. Marty Brenneman grew up listening to Bob Prince. So did Costas, you know? So there's, there's certain people's perspectives. And I think uh, what you just said, Ernie Harwell put it all together in a really, really nice compact way, which made a big impact on me and a big impact on Pat before that, obviously. And one of the fun things that you do do in the podcast is, is you ask these announcers, you know, is there any kind of ritual or any way of doing things? And, 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 and Joe Buck cracked me up because my grandfather used to have that four thing, the pen with the four different colors that Joe oh, yeah. uses. Oh yeah. But I loved Pat's description of how he did things. And so I kind of looked in my memorabilia collection 
and I pulled out this uh, World Series scorecard, and Pat was talking about how the Cubs are always in blue and the and the Cardinals are in red. And so you can get this from Pat Hughes's website, these scorecards, and it's just phenomenal to take a look at all the notes and stuff that he kind of just writes down here and yeah. And how it just all comes together. And and you talk a lot about in the podcast how focused you have to be, how in the moment, the mindfulness of being a broadcaster. And you actually had a chance to broadcast games when Pat Hughes was in Cooperstown. Coomer was gone and Pat Hughes and Zach Zaidman. And, and so I think, what did you say? You, you just wanted to make sure you didn't burn the house down? <laughs> I wanted to make sure I did not burn the house down. Uh, that was what I said in advance. And then when the time came... Crawley, and let's let's not forget, I broadcast the three-game sweep of the Cardinals at Wrigley on the weekend of July 23rd. That were the first three wins of the eight-game win streak that convinced Jed Hoyer to buy. So, and that eight-game win streak culminated because um, there was White Sox in there, and then the Talkman catch in St. Louis, all part of the same streak that I and Elise Meneker started and Mike Esposito. The three of us got that going and you're welcome. You're welcome, America. You're welcome, Cubdom. Although they didn't make the playoffs, perhaps you recall. And if they lose Cody Bellinger for nothing, you can also blame us. Well, <laughs> you know what? It was, it was fun watching him go for it. I'd rather, you know, try to win than, you know, I, I thought, yeah. I, I appreciate your efforts in there, but you know, you call it the perch. I mean, I've been up in the press box, just kind of looking out there. And it's so weird because if you just, you know, if you've, you know, if you're just normally in Wrigley field, when you're in the press box, you actually see Lake Michigan. It's just such a beautiful sight. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. that first time that you're calling a game on your own, I mean, there had to have been butterflies. You know, there were butterflies for months and months leading up to it and weeks and days and then hours. Although once I got to the chair, and you sit there, it's such a special place to watch the ballpark come alive slowly. There's really nothing like it. You get there and it feels like you're alone in the ballpark and you see the grounds crew doing their thing and see the vendors slowly show up. And then a few tours walking around the empty stadium and then progressively the teams working out and eventually the fans once the gate opens and everything. And by the time first pitch comes, you are locked and loaded. You've had a good three hours just sitting there in addition to whatever other prep you've done where you're getting all your ducks in a row and filling out your scorecard and getting everything ready. I was ready for first pitch and that was exciting to feel ready. Um, it, it is an incredibly mindful exercise and you turn off the phone. How many things in life do we have now where we actually turn off the phone for four hours? It's pretty, it's pretty rare and pretty special in and of itself to do that. But um, yeah, you know, I, I, I know I should have been more nervous than I was, but maybe it's a life of loving the game that led me to just try and, okay, let's just be here and be part of the thing and do the very best you can. Really, really special opportunity. Well, I think, you know, also your background as a musician, you mentioned it in the podcast, you know, being like a jazz musician sometimes. And sometimes if you make a mistake, lean into it. And oh yeah. Just go, go with it, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Cause everybody makes mistakes. Players make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. So, so if I make one, just you know, go ahead and let's laugh at it. Let's move on and not make another mistake within the next five seconds to the next 10 seconds. Now you talked about guys you got advice from and your friends in the broadcasting community. This is a picture before when they when when Len was still with the Cubs and Jason Benetti with, was with the Sox. I saw him outside. I think they were coming to talk to you at the Cubs at the 670 booth right there. And I was like, oh my God. And you know, Len shocked a lot of people by going to the South Side, but like you, a lover of radio, correct? 
hundred percent. He made a he made a personal happiness choice to be a radio broadcaster and to live that. Len grew up in suburban Detroit and grew up on Ernie Harwell, and and wants to wanted to be that. And also the thing we talked about earlier, where once the postseason comes you you go away as a tv broadcaster you're gone i remember len is the guy i told you was hanging around the cubs radio broadcast during the 2016 run and you know if the white Sox are ever going to get back to the postseason and it could be a little while (laughs) but if the white Sox are ever going to get back to the postseason len will be there and he'll get to be there every step of the way get to call world series games theoretically for the team you're the broadcaster for that was never going to happen for him as a television Cubs person. So yeah, it's uh he made a difficult choice, um, but I know he's happy as a clam and that's what matters. Now I got to tell you, you know, as shocking as it was where, when Len left, it's also shocking that Benetti's now going to Detroit. I mean that, you know, I mean with, with, with Jason, you just see like a rising star, you know, he's just, he's great. He just has that it factor. It's hard to even describe. And, you know, I think that's just such a loss for Chicago because that booth with Benetti and Stone was just a, cla- a really, really good broadcast. Yeah, just just a remarkable broadcast. Jason's one of my favorite people, not just in the business, but just in general. Just a, a, a huge, huge brain, a massive amount of uh, artistic references and cultural references that are all existing within him there. And he keeps it calm and steady as he broadcasts uh, along the way. Just a very thoughtful and, and and wonderful guy and it's um it's a damn shame that he had to make a choice to leave his hometown team it's crazy when i really stop and think about it you know i, I think about probably some of the funniest broadcast games ever called i think about you know when bill murray substituted for harry Carey when harry had his stroke and that was yeah. just classic but i'm gonna put this right up there is jason benetti and bill walton i mean was there anything ever more ridiculous than that and no. it was classic well, it, it's perfect. Benetti's exactly the right guy because he can keep the game going and keep the whole thing happening, but he can exist with Bill on on every level. And I don't know how many psychedelic drugs Jason has done. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> I haven't asked him about that. Um, but we know Bill has done some. Uh, but, you know, Jason can hang with all those levels of thought that Bill had going, and that was really special stuff. I hope they do some more of that on NBA TV. That, that, that was brilliant. Now, with this oh you're uh, talking about yeah well that's right because walton came and did baseball games on the white Sox. so yeah they did that of course but uh, walton had also done uh basketball with benetti on nba tv for a little while i mean that uh, just such an odd couple but so fun to listen to um do you think that you know i know that you know it's done for the season but do you think there's a possibility that you're going to do maybe some more episodes i mean we didn't hear from len or maybe like uh you know boy, uh, Bob Euchre or something like that. There's just so many great broadcasters. Do you think that this chapter is closed or do you think that maybe it might come back at one point in time? Crawley, it's possible that it comes back, but I'll tell you, um, uh, I'm writing a book about it. I learned so much and grabbed so much incredible advice and it all happened in a year where I got to do my first few games in full like you're talking about. Um, so I'm, I'm putting together a book about it as, as we speak, so I can stay in that mindset and just keep swimming and all of the thoughts that, that came along with it. And I, 
I hope folks will be interested and it'll have a lot of the advice that I got from all those people along the way. So, you know, Kurt Smith hasn't written a book about broadcasting in a long time. Somebody's got to pick up that mantle, right? I so can't might wait as well to be me. <laughs> I can't wait to read that. Um, just want to ask you really quick going into the winter meetings. Is, 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 you know, I mean, I, we were talking about, uh, Dustin and I were talking earlier, you know, some, you know, Bob uh, Nightingale was joking around Otani or bust, you know, yelling from the Chicago rooftops. I mean, there's a lot of options for the Cubs there still. It doesn't have to be Otani or bust. I think there's a lot Jed can do either with trade chips or with the money available both this year and next year to really, you know, make the Cubs competitive in 2024. What do you kind of anticipate happening? I know it's hard to predict at this point in time. Well, it it, it appears that most mostly the entire industry is waiting for the Otani uh, domino to fall before a lot of other things fall into place. So I think that is inherently a good thing for the teams that are chasing Otani. And as we are broadcasting here, you and I, we know that Jed is not in Nashville for the winter meetings. We also know that um, that some other GMs are not there at the winter meeting, which lends a lot of credence to this idea that there are meetings going on in Los Angeles with Otani and his representatives um, at, at, at this point. So maybe we'll get news very shortly. But I think what's important is that any team that misses out in the Otani sweepstakes is prepared to move quickly on plan B. And that's why these front offices are vast. And it's not just one person trying to keep tabs of everything. So yeah, there's, there's lots of options. If Otani does not happen, then um, the Cubs, you know, they may be moving quickly on a pitcher anyway, as we're talking about this, my colleague Bruce Levine reporting that Tyler Glass now is uh, very possible to be a trade acquisition one year at $25 million for a front of the rotation quality starter when healthy is um, is totally workable. So, you know, you may have something like that since Otani's not going to pitch this year. Maybe the Cubs are actively chasing that, but they just need to be ready to pounce on the rest of the market should the Otani thing not happen. And I think they will. And 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 all of this it comes with the the backdrop of Cody Bellinger will come back to the Cubs and give them a chance. He had such a good time here and was so happy here that he will explore the market, but knowing he and Scott Boris, they'll probably wait until February to sign, you know, maybe January. But Bellinger, I think, will come back to the Cubs and give them a chance to get involved. And we'll see what happens by then. That that would be great. And and you know, you you did kind of pop some balloons today, letting everybody know that if you sign Otani, that doesn't mean Marquis will be selling a lot of subscriptions in Japan. Not going to happen. I, I thought that was important to report the details on that because I was among many wondering what kind of financial boon that could be for a team like the Cubs that has their own direct-to-consumer product that they could theoretically sell to people all around the world and potentially what millions of Japanese, but no international streaming rights being what they are as part of MLB TV. That's what Japanese fans would be, would have to buy and maybe already own. And will just auto resubscribe after they watched angels games that way. So that in itself is not a specific Cubs revenue stream waiting to happen to mitigate Otani expense, but there are other ways. There are other ways that you can market and monetize the international presence that Otani would bring. Absolutely. Like Otani at Wrigley field. I mean that, I mean, I just keep thinking about home runs going down Kenmore. The ball Hawks are going to have an absolute blast. Uh, you know, Matt, I appreciate you jumping on here. And again, if our listeners are interested 
you know, the, the PBP voices of the game is on the Odyssey app or wherever you stream podcasts. Matt, why don't you tell people again, two to six Parkinson Spiegel show on the score. Where can they follow you on the socials to get more information from you? Matt Spiegel 670 on Twitter. You can find me there. Um, and yes, yeah, 670 The Score is where you find Parkinson Spiegel in the afternoons. And uh, and grab that podcast. I appreciate how much you listen to it, Crowley, and and uh, the great questions. And I, I thank you for sharing the passion uh, of it. It was an absolute labor of love. And as I mentioned, hopefully a book will come out of it. So the PBP, like play by play. So the PBP, you can search for that on any of your podcast platforms. And we'll link it up as well. Matt, I appreciate your time, and I'm sure I'm going to be seeing you at CubsCon. You bet it. You bet it. Thanks, Crowley.